Equilibrium is a scientific term uh, that communicates the balancing of two opposing forces. In general, that's what equilibrium is in science. Anatomically, when it comes to our bodies, our bodies reach a state of equilibrium, which allows us to balance our bodies in our inner ear. There's a small thing in our inner ear that allows us to balance our bodies, to be able to stand straight and not sway and not fall over. Uh, I know of a lady who uh, went on a cruise ship, and let me just tell you, I'm not discouraging you from going on cruise ships, but she went on one, something happened to whatever that thing is in your inner ear that allows your body to reach a state of equilibrium, of balance, uh, and for the rest of her life, she uh, swayed back and forth because she felt like she was perpetually on a cruise ship. Again, not discouraging you from going on cruise ships. That's, you know, your own choice. Uh, but it got so bad that eventually she was, she, she had to sit in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. That's how important equilibrium is for our bodies. It, 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 it's such a, a valuable and an important aspect of the way that our body functions. Equilibrium in science generally, equilibrium is something that we want to attain anatomically, but we can think about equilibrium of balance, uh, just in, in life in general right? We want our lives to be balanced. We want to be able to think about and to partake in and to do certain things and to have balance in every aspect of our life as much as possible, right? We would all say that that's important to find balance, to find equilibrium with all of the different things that we are juggling. And when something throws that equilibrium off, when things get out of balance, that starts to cause an emotional reaction in our minds and in our lives that we might call anxiety or becoming anxious. I remember... Um, perhaps one of the most anxious times in uh, mine and Sarah's life, um, more so her than me, uh, happened in late 2019, December of 2019. We were at uh, some of our family friends' house uh, celebrating our baby shower for Lincoln. It was an amazing day, such a, such a blessing to be surrounded by friends and family and to be just showered with love and, and gifts. And there are just so many blessings in that day. And as we're cleaning up before we leave, I'm standing in the kitchen and somebody comes and finds me and says, Jackson, you need to go outside to the front porch. Sarah needs you. And I said, oh, well, okay, I'm, I'm doing something right now. Can it wait? And they say, no, you need to go right now. And so I go to the front porch on my way. I ask, is, is everything okay? I don't know. She just said that she needs you. And so I go out to the front porch and she's there. And very obviously and evidently she, she's upset and she'd been crying. And so I say, Sarah, what's going on? And she says, Jackson, I can't see. And I say, well, what do you mean you can't see? She says, Jackson, I can't see. I said, like you're blind? What do you mean you can't see? I can't see anything. Is it like, it's dark? Like you're, no, it's not dark. I just can't, I just can't see anything. I can't see anything. And so her being pregnant, obviously this scares us. And so we decide that we need to go to the emergency room. And so we load up in the car and we go to the emergency room, which that's always an experience. If you've ever had to go to an emergency room, goodness gracious. Anyway, we, we, we get put in this room with, you know, four other people that have the flu. For some reason that made sense. And so we're sitting there at like 1.30 in the morning. They finally call us back to be, um, to be examined. First, it's with a bunch of nurses and they're not doing anything except, you know, taking all the numbers for the charts and everything. Finally, a doctor comes back. They end up doing uh, an ultrasound on her eyeball, which didn't know they could do that. Um, and, and ultimately, they, they come back and they say, yeah, we're just not sure what happened. What? You're not sure? Sh- 
you're, you're a doctor. Tell me what's going, why can't my wife see? We don't know what, yeah, that's, what do you, our equilibrium was thrown off. Our OBGYN ultimately referred us to a neurologist that told us that she was experiencing what's known as ocular migraines. Didn't know that was a thing, but basically, this can kind of help you think about it, it's like seeing through a kaleidoscope. That's what was happening. She couldn't see normally. Everything that she could see for, uh, for an inconsistent amount of time, every time she had one of these um, migraines throughout the rest of her pregnancy and then even afterwards, was like seeing through a kaleidoscope. And obviously, that throws our life out of balance because we don't know when they're going to hit. So they could hit in the middle of driving and then she can't see anything. It could happen while she's sitting at her computer so she couldn't do any work. Our equilibrium was thrown off. Our, our, the balance of our life was thrown off. And this was causing in her especially especially but in our life, anxiety, anxiousness. And to that, Jesus has a word for us. I read it just earlier, but if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, 25. Therefore, I... T- now listen, let me just... <laughs> um, as good Bible students, whenever there's a therefore, we want to know what the therefore's therefore, right? As the, as the saying goes. And so Jesus, in the preceding verses, has just told his audience, those that he is teaching, not to lay up treasures for themselves here on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. To turn their eyes, to focus on heavenly things, on eternal things, rather than earthly and worldly things. He goes on to say that you can't have two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And in the same breath that he says you can't serve God and money, he says, therefore I tell you, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than these? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? First thing that I want us to notice from this text is the command that Jesus gives us Right out of the gate in verse 25, he says, do not be anxious. Let me just say, that's not a suggestion. That's not a hypothetical. That's not a, hey, this would be a a, a good tactic or a good thing for your life. It is a command. It's an imperative. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. For Jesus's audience, it's evident that the things that they were anxious about or worried about was what were they going to eat and what were they going to drink and what clothes were they going to wear? But what about us? What are the things that we can become so easily anxious about? Maybe you're like Jesus's original audience and it's just the basic necessities, right? Like you don't know where your next meal is going to come from and that's causing anxiety in your life. That's totally normal. Maybe it's, maybe it's not that. Maybe it has to do with, you know, different relationships in your life. Maybe you're anxious about your kids, right? Maybe you're going to be a new parent. And so you're just anxious about what that means for your life and how it's going to change. Trust me, it's going to change. Okay. So just, just welcome it. Okay. Um, but that might be causing some anxiety or maybe you've got a kid that's just completely disobedient, right? And you're anxious about when is this kid going to screw his head on? Right. Is he ever going to, right? When am I going to get a call when the school year starts? How long is it going to be before the principal calls and tells me that I got to come pick my kid up because they're suspended? Maybe that's what you, maybe you're anxious because you don't know the status of your children's salvation. 
And that's causing anxiety. Maybe it's not your kids. Maybe it's your parents, right? Maybe you've got some parents that are getting older in life and you're starting to have some of those end-of-life conversations, right? Maybe that's causing some anxiety. Maybe, like the kids, you don't know if your parents are saved. And so you're wondering, when am I going to have that conversation with my parents? Am I going to get to have that conversation with my parents? Maybe there's some unresolved conflict in your life, right? In your marriage or with your significant other or a friendship that you have. And you're just constantly worrying and obsessing. What are they saying about me? Are they saying something? Who are they talking about? What are they, th- what are they going to do next? When is this going to come back to bite me? And that's causing anxiety in your life. Maybe it has little to do with interpersonal stuff. Maybe it's like your finances, right? You need a job. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You've got debt, like a crazy amount of debt, and you have no idea how you're going to pay it off. You're thinking about retirement, right? There are so many things in our lives that can be, that can be triggers of anxiety. For me right now, it's just a looming situation, right? I'm in school right now. I'm finishing up two classes for my master's degree. I've got seven and a half hours of lectures that I've got to write. I've got two papers that I have to write, two 12-page papers, a final exam, a final project, discussion boards, and hundreds of pages of reading due Wednesday, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I'm a husband, and I'm a dad, and I'm the kind of person who likes to give 100% to whatever it is that I'm doing, and I just have no idea how I'm going to give 100% to school, and my wife, and my kid, and try to be a disciple of Jesus, more importantly. I mean, life is just plagued with places where we can become so easily anxious, and then Jesus gives us this command, do not be anxious about your life. And so here's what he does to help us understand that. He gives us this command, but then he gives us a consideration. The consideration that he gives us is he tells us to look at the birds of the air. The King James Version says the sparrows. So in our theme of animal planet, we'll just roll with sparrows, okay? When I think about the birds of the air, I'm reminded of my little brother. Uh, He currently works for the Kentucky State Parks in the eastern Kentucky region, and one of his initial assignments was to memorize the sounds and the calls of the 20 most common birds in that area. Pretty interesting. And he can do it, or at least he tells me that he can do it, and maybe he's just lying to me when I say, what was that, and he just names off some kind of bird. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to trust him, though. That's pretty cool, right, that he can do that. And so I, I wonder if he, could, if he could know just by memory the sound, the calls that sparrows make. And I wonder if there's any of us in here that could even recognize a sparrow. Because I couldn't before I started preparing for this message. But when we think about the birds of the air, um, let's consider some of the attributes of the sparrow. The first one that comes to mind is they're kind of dull birds. I'm not trying to be mean. But they're just kind of dull, right? I remember being a kid, sitting on the back porch, talking with my dad. And I said, Daddy, why are some cardinals brighter than other cardinals? And, um, and he proceeded to tell me. And, and still to this day, one of the coolest things about birds is that the males are generally brighter than the females. And that's a, that's a protection uh, mechanism. That's a, that's, a, that's a survival thing that the Lord created them with so that when predators would come for the birds, they would go after the males and they could then protect the females because they're a little bit more disguised. That's, that's amazing to me, right? And, and, and it's, even a, it's even more amazing when you see it, right? Like think about a winter day and just the stark, 
bright redness of a cardinal. It's beautiful, right? With the, with the snow, the white snow, and then just bam, this big red bird right there. Or blue jays. Blue jays are beautiful, right? Or like the boldness of a yellow finch. Like a, a male yellow finch. It's just, it's just beautiful, right? And then we get brown sparrows. Like that's kind of boring, I'm going to be honest. When you think about all these exotic and amazing and beautiful birds that God has created, and then you get this dull, brown, boring sparrow, and that's what Jesus wants to make the comparison to? That's what he wants us to consider, the the boring, brown? Okay. Okay. But it's interesting to me, uh, not only are they dull, but they're also pretty insignificant, right? Sparrow. Like, no one's losing sleep over sparrows. When was the last time... You know, you, you, you were up all night wondering if it's too cold, or in the case of yesterday, too hot for the sparrows. Nobody's doing that, right? Nobody's like elbowing their spouse in the middle of the night saying, dear, could you just go put some ice in the bird bath? Because I want it to be nice and cool for them when they wake up and they take their morning. But nobody's, right? Nobody's worrying, are the pesky squirrels going to get into the bird so that the sparrows can't get what they, nobody's losing, because they're insignificant, right? They're, they're they're insignificant. They're, com- they're just common. They're common birds, right? The sparrow's never been on the endangered species list. I promise. I looked it up. We're not talking about bald eagles here, right? We're not talking about the, the majestic peregrine falcon. You guys ever seen these things? They're amazing, right? They, like, anybody ever heard of falcon punch? Not from Super Smash Bros., but the, it's a real thing, I watched like 12 videos on the falcon. I, I got on a little rabbit trail prepping for this message, and it's a real thing. They get super high up, and then they nosedive like a stealth bomber, and they can get they're the fastest birds in the world. They can get up to 200 miles per hour, and then instead of swooping down and capturing their prey, they ball up their claws and punch it. And because they're going so fast, they literally break the back or the skull, crush the skull of their prey. That's amazing. Jesus isn't talking about the peregrine falcon or, the, or its mi- mixed martial arts skills. That's not what he's, he says. Look at the sparrows. Look at the birds of the field. And why does he do this? Like, why is that what Jesus wants us to think about? Well, I think Jesus asks us to consider the birds of the air, the common, dull, insignificant sparrows, because he's trying to intentionally create dissonance or contrast the sparrow with us. Because that's what he says, right? That's the comparison that he makes. That's point number three. There's, there's the command, don't be anxious. Then there's the consideration, look at the birds. But then the comparison that he makes is, are you not more valuable than these? He's creating dissonance. He's creating contrast. And he's asking this in a rhetorical sense. This isn't a legitimate question that Jesus is asking. He's asking it rhetorically because the answer is an implied and an emphatic, yes, of course you are more valuable than the birds. Of course you are. We'll unpack that in just a second. Because I don't know if there's someone in here today who is wrestling with the question of do I have value? Or do I have worth? Does anybody see me? And if you're in here thinking, I don't know if the answer to that is yes, let me tell you, you are wrong. 
Because according to Scripture, according to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, yes, you are incredibly, incredibly valued. And how do we know that? How do we know? Like, I can't just make that statement and then let it be. We, we've got to back that up. And so where in Scripture does, does, does God's Word attest to our value? Some of you guys are automatically thinking Psalm 139. Good. Go, your mind should immediately go there. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit you together uniquely in your mother's womb. That's amazing. Isaiah 43, another place. says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, says the Lord. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. But I think the greatest passage in all of Scripture that attests to our inherent value comes from Genesis chapter 1. And that's where I want to spend just a little bit of time this morning. And I want to spend time there because in order for us to understand where we're going, we have to understand where we've been. Right? In order for us to understand our destination... We have to understand our point of origination. And so if, if we turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we don't have time today to go through all of it, but if we were to read Genesis chapter 1, we, we would observe a pattern. We would observe a pattern. The pattern goes something like this. And God said, and it was so, and it was good. There was morning and evening. And God said, and it was so, and it was good, and there was morning, and there was evening. But I want us to understand, I want us to see that in verse 26, there is this language change. There's a change in language, and that should clue us into something. Here's a hermeneutics lesson, a a studying the Bible lesson for us. We, as Bible readers, as good students of God's Word, we should observe patterns and repetition in Scripture. Because where there's pattern and where there's repetition, our biblical authors are trying to clue us into something important that they are showing us. In this this case, they're showing us that God is the Creator. God is the one single Creator of the universe who creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. But then in verse 26, something happens, there's language change, and that should tell us something, right? So just as important as repetition and pattern, the break in repetition and the break in pattern is also important. And in verse 26, we observe that. In verse 26, it begins not, and God said, but then God said. Then God said. And what did he say? He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth verse 27 so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female again the pattern and god said and it was so And it was good, there was morning and evening, but not in verse 26. There's something different, there's a change. And this change in the pattern is our first indicator that something new, something different is going on. So there's, first there's a change in the pattern, but there's also another change that's going on. Another language change that's happening. Again, back to the pattern, we see, and and God said, and it was so, and it was good, but then... We see something different happening, right? We could summarize these ideas of the pattern as God's declaration, right? And God said, he declared it to be. And God said, the declaration, 
then there's the demonstration of God's power. And it was so. And then there's the evaluation, right? And it was good. We all see that. But in verse 26, on the sixth day, we have the declaration, then God said, and before we get to the demonstration, before God's power is demonstrated in the creation of mankind, we have a differentiation because we, and only we, exclusively we as men and women are created in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation bears the imago Dei, the image of God. As men and women, we are different from every other aspect of God's creation because we, unlike every other aspect of God's creation, are made in the image of God. And this is incredibly important for us to understand for so many reasons. When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships, it's incredibly important. And it's important, too, because it, it shows us our elevated status above the rest of creation. Being made in the image of God elevates our relationship with God above that of the rest of creation. It elevates our our priority and our value and our worth. You and I being made in the image of God separates us from the rest of creation. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to make in Matthew chapter 6. He says, look at the birds of the air. They were made, God made them, God takes care of them, but they're not his crowning jewel. You are. And so, yes, you are more valuable than they. This passage also teaches us about our purpose. That, yes, our value is elevated, but so is our purpose with God. Our relationship is elevated, but so is our responsibility. That God has given each one of us a responsibility uniquely and corporately. It elevates our priority, yes, but also our purpose. Our value, yes, but also where our view should be. Our worth, but also the work that is still to be done. We learn all of this from Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 31 because of the language that changes there at verse 26. But also I want us to notice in these verses a literary change. And by literary, I mean genre. If you just look at the formatting of your text, of your Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, I have a suspicion that most of it from 1 verse 1 to 26 looks like just regular text, right? Narrative text. But then, in most translations at least, verse 27, it's going to change the indentation or some other kind of formatting to tell us that something is different about this language than the rest of it. And this, in the rest of the Bible, tells us that what we're reading is poetic in nature. Now, jump with me to Ephesians 2, chapter 10. You don't have to go there, but I I appreciate you guys getting ready to turn your Bible. I'm just going to say it to you. Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship, this is amazing to me. That word workmanship is the Greek word poema. It sounds a lot like, and is where we get our English word poem. Where's the first poem in scripture? Genesis 1.27. Is it a coincidence then that the first poem in all of Scripture attests to the creation of those that would one day be described as God's poema, his masterpiece, his crowning jewel? Brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you this morning is that you have value. 
you have value. By no merit or work of your own, other than the fact that you are created in the image of God, you have value. Is it marred because of sin? Yes, 100% it is. But does that take away from the fact that you still have inherent value? No, absolutely not. Does God want to do the process of justification and sanctification and wipe away every blemish and stain and spot and sin so that that image might be seen even more for the glory of God? Yes, but you have value. You have so much value to God. And so ultimately, all of this leads to Jesus' call. And I haven't read it yet, but in Matthew chapter 6, if you'll go back there for me and turn to verse 33, we read the, the so what, if you will, of, uh, of this passage. Jesus says in Matthew six thirty-three, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, when I was growing up in my neighborhood, there were about 10 or 12 of us, and we did everything together. We played wiffle ball together, basketball, football, video games. We just did everything together. One day over the summer, we were playing manhunt, which is a form of hide and seek, right? But you've got a base, or at least this is the way we play it. You've got a base. There's a jail. You can get broken out of jail. It's just a really fun game that kids play, right? We're playing that one day. Uh, there's one person that counts to a hundred. Everybody else goes and hides. And then that person is supposed to go find and tag, uh, the people who, who hide. If you get tagged, then you go to jail until the end of the game, unless you get broken out and then you can run away and you know, it, yeah. So anyway, one day I'm one of the hiders and I go and I find the best hiding spot in the neighborhood. Nobody's going to find me. I promise. Nobody's going to find me. And nobody found me. Um, for a long time, nobody found me. Um, nobody looked in the garbage can. And so, uh, so I was in there just playing on my phone, waiting for somebody to come by and, you know, and it just never happened for two hours. It didn't happen. Um, I was a lot more patient, I guess, in my younger days than I am now for sitting in a truck. Anyway, um, so I finally get out, and I'm like, what is going on? It, is t- it has been forever. And I go to the base, to the jail, and all my friends are there eating ice cream. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Why? I've been hiding this whole time in a garbage can, and you're over here eating. You're supposed to be seeking me. You see where I'm going with this? And they say, well, the ice cream truck came by and we wanted to get some ice cream. I don't care. I've been in a trash can. We wanted ice cream. We got distracted. We got distracted. They got distracted. They had a job, and that job was to seek, to go and find. And they got distracted. And I think that's the heart behind what Jesus is saying to his audience here in Matthew chapter 6, is don't get distracted, right? Our anxiety comes when we get distracted. Our anxiety comes from the times where instead of staying focused, instead of our eyes being fixed, solely fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith, we turn to the left and we turn to the right, we turn to the distractions of the enemy and the temptations of Satan, and we fix our eyes there instead of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. He says, seek 
That means your, your desires, your tensions, your focus, everything is on the kingdom of God. Seek first. First is a position of priority, right? So above even your spouse, above your family, above your kids, above your significant others, above your job, above your hobbies, you are to seek first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Oh my goodness. Scores of books have been written on the kingdom of God and what it is, but if we could just boil it down to one thing, it would be, it would be heaven, right? It would be heaven. It would be the place where God dwells and God reigns unchallenged. And so Jesus is seeking, is saying, seek heaven here on earth. It sounds a lot like the Lord's prayer to, to, to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what is heaven like? Well, heaven is where worship will happen eternally. So the question for you and for me is, are we worshiping God in spirit and in truth every day of our lives? Are we encountering him? My goodness, can you imagine? I can only imagine, the song goes, what it will be like in that day when we encounter the fullness of the glory of Jesus Christ. Are you seeking that today? I mean, even more practically, when tragedy strikes, do you experience the peace of Christ right now? When things don't go your way, can you still experience the joy of Jesus right now, today? When there's conflict between you and other people, are you seeking resolution? Because in heaven there will be no war, there will be no conflict, there will be no strife, it will be harmonious. Are you seeking that in your life and in your relationships today? That's what Jesus is saying. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's righteousness? It's right standing before God. It's, it's the, the, the verdict of innocence, of blamelessness, of sinlessness. And folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, if you didn't know, that is impossible. And that's why he says, and his righteousness. He doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness as if there's anything that we could do on our own. He says, his righteousness, because everything has to do with faith in him. Amen? His righteousness. Righteousness is a, it's a legal term. It's got the idea of a, of a courtroom, right? With God, the Father is the judge, holy and righteous, and you and I standing condemned. But Satan, the accuser as the prosecutor, right? And he's saying, judge, this guy's got to go. He's sinful. He's wicked, right? He's messed up. He's, he gets angry. He's seen too much online, right? He's got pride in his heart. He is, he is wicked, and he deserves to go with me to hell. And you know what God says? You're right. He is. He is wicked. He is sinful, and he does deserve that. But praise be to God that we're not on the stand alone. That Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, who is equal to God because he is God, comes down to be our legal advisor. And he says, hang on, God. Judge, wait a second. L like, let's just show him some mercy, right? Well, I mean, we created him in our image after all. Can't, can't we just show him some, some mercy and bring him home with us? And as soon as Jesus says that, the adversary, the accuser, exclaims, no, 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 wait a second. No, 
God, according to your own standard, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So he's got to go. He's got a record. And God again says, you're right. He does. And just as the gavel... Just as the gavel is about to hit and the verdict declared, Jesus says, I'll take his place. I'll take his place. And I'll take the place of everyone who believes in me. I'll take his place. The sinless one for the sin-filled ones. The spotless ones for the stained ones. The perfect ones. For those who stand condemned, I'll take his place. And Satan has no answer to that. And so God comes to this world. He takes on flesh and tabernacles among us. And he goes to the cross. And the very one who spoke light into existence, right, who's, who's by his very words spoke light and life into existence, uttered the words on the cross, it is finished. And so the author of life tasted death on our behalf. But it didn't stay that way, did it? No, it did not. Because on, on, the, on the third day, right, the, the one who spoke and all of creation came into existence on the first day, burst forth into light on the third day, burst forth out of that empty tomb on the third day of the resurrection. Praise be to God. And so now... Jesus, the righteous ruling king of the world, is at the right hand of the Father from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And when he comes, he will come in glory and every knee will bow on heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God forever. He's coming back, ladies and gentlemen. He's coming back with power and he's coming back in glory. And when he comes back, he's going to gather all those who believe. He's going to gather all those who believe and take him to the eternal home that he has prepared for us. And as we await that day, as we await that day, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. Why? Because we've got a king who's coming to establish his kingdom, who has defeated the power of sin and Satan and death and hell. And so what do we do As we await that day, we set our eyes fully on Jesus. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is the invitation that Jesus offered to his hearers on that day. And friends, it's the same invitation that Jesus offers us today. So I want to pray as we close this service. If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads. Mm. whether you know it or not and I hope you know it the gospel has been proclaimed today and so it would be irresponsible of me to 
not invite you to make a decision. And the reality is every single person in this room has a decision to make. Every single person. For some of you, it's going to be making a decision to put your life and your trust and your faith in Jesus for the first time today. Praise be to God if that's you. Be obedient to the Spirit's leading. For others of you, it's going to be repentance and confession. And and we're going to have our prayer team here ready to pray with you and to walk with you through that. For others of you, it's going to be, I need to be baptized. Still for others, it's going to be joining the church, joining the fellowship of this church. But every single one of us has a decision to make today. And if it's not any of those, it's the decision that when I leave this place today, my focus, my attention will be set on seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a decision every single one of us can make. And I pray that you make it. I pray that you make it. I pray that you would be courageous every single day to make that decision. Because trust me, it takes courage. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray, God, if there's anything that I've said that is doesn't bring you glory that you would cause these people to forget it and that you supernaturally would set their eyes on the cross because it's only in the cross that we receive the declaration that we are righteous and that we can enter into eternal relationship with you God I pray now for this moment that decisions would be made all over the room that If there's somebody here who needs to accept Jesus, that they would come forward. If there's somebody here who needs to repent and confess their sins, that they would come forward. If there's somebody here that needs to be baptized, that they would come forward. We're ready for them, God. We need you to stir their hearts. Holy Spirit, give them courage to come forward. Father, we love you with everything that we are. We are are unworthy, and yet you call us worthy because of Jesus. We praise your name. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You come and you respond.